Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside media executive Grail Hallett and OTV producer and Syria A specialista, Sam Griswold. I uh, hope this finds you all well. Everyone's safe and secure. Things keep piling up on us here in the States, not just the snow. We got the COVID crisis. If that wasn't enough now with this huge weather event across the country, especially in Texas, no heat, or clean water. So our thoughts go out to all those Americans who are struggling through this right now. So hopefully our podcast gives you a little bit of a reprieve to think about some other things like world football. Uh, today on OTB, we get a chance to uh, to talk to Grant Wall. Grant's got a great perspective on the game. He, you, uh, Most of us soccer people know him from his longtime uh, writing skills at Sports Illustrated and Fox Soccer Coverage and uh, the Freddie Adu podcast. And now he's got his own podcast. So we all uh, we always check in with Grant every couple of weeks to see uh, what's happening and see if we can stump them, which we kind of do this week, guys. Or, or no, we don't, do we? We, no. we asked him some hard questions and, and he pretty never much stump him. He pretty much had the answers. Yeah. You know, and what I like about talking to Grant, guys, is that, uh, you know, he loves this game. He knows it really, really well but he's an American again. And this is a show with the, you know, the world's game from an American perspective. And I think in many ways he exemplifies that because uh, you know, I love to compare it to other sports and things. And, you know, mm-hmm. I used to get a hard time when, when we were at serious uh, grail for, for bringing up somebody like uh, Larry bird or koozie. They said, we're talking about soccer. I'm like, well, we're Americans. And we've, we brought up, you know, we brought up with all these different sports and they, you know, we can use different analogies. I talked about it once uh, when I was in England, I said, a uh, I took a shot and I said it was a worm burner and the English guy on television, I was on the BBC. He goes, there is no such term as a worm burner. And I'm like, wow, like you, like that's, there is, and it's in America and we use it. So it was a baseball term that we can use with soccer. It's just, it just annoys me. So, and anyway, so I want to, I want to complain a little bit about the broadcasters on champions league too, but at first I want to say, what are you guys over this week on over the ball guys? Real? I'm I'm over this new thing that they're doing. Maybe it's not that new, but it's new to me. This new thing they're doing on uh, defensively setting up on a free kick where they have the guy lying horizontally behind the wall. I don't know if <laughs> yeah, you've seen I that. I feel like I'm watching a, a, a pyramid routine in a college football game or something. And again, I get the idea. It's so if the ball, a lot of free kicks now are going low, they're purposely, instead of going over the wall, they're banking on the right. wall to break and they're going, so they have that, like, I call it like a block of wood. It's actually a human behind there to stop it. I'm like, why don't you just hold the wall and not worry about having a guy well, behind you on the ground? Grail, they got to jump to cover it, to cut the angle down. And so, you know, people are exploiting yeah. that. Um, you know, so I think, but you know, the, the problem is you got a man that's basically immobilized. That's what I'm uh, saying. You take a guy yeah. basically out of play. Yeah, so look to more things on the far post, I would say. Yes. Um, anyway, to the free I find man. it kind of go- so. goofy to me. Yeah, well, I love how they fake it. You know, like they like this, the guy's standing and all of a sudden the guy takes the free kick and he dives down. So, all right, Sam, what do you got? What are you over today? Uh, I'm, I'm just over the Champions League this week. I found it a very empty spectacle. Uh, maybe it's, you know, because the biggest, the bigger the stage, you know, the more you feel the absence of fans. Yeah. You know, watching a game at Camp Nou, which is whatever, 100,000 capacity feels you know even more empty than normal but I, I don't know I'm just having a really hard time getting into these teams as they you know kind of become this breakaway super club group and I'd like to propose a new name for them actually which is tourist traps you know people have often referred to them as lifestyle clubs or luxury clubs yeah. but yeah I think tourist trap is more appropriate because these these le- these teams essentially exist more for outsiders than they do for you know the local fans so uh that was kind of that ac milan uh what is it uh, no inter milan inter miami you know dust up yeah. everybody's at the naming yeah. rights and people want to be able to market the stuff over here because we're just like in china because a big market so uh i was yeah, still but, excited know, by it sam I, i've got to say even without the fans and and the one unique thing is you do hear like i heard pk and greaseman going at it like in mm-hmm. the game which you would never hear if you had fans. So it's like, I've just kind of shifted my focus away from there are no fans and I'm just going to appreciate it for the game. It's, I mean, obviously I miss the fans as much as you do. Yeah. But I'm like, I appreciate it in a different way. And it still feels big to me, honestly. 
Yeah, I mean the big players are out there, but you know yeah. you're both right in the sense that yeah. it's that they're great games, but uh, you know the fans obviously bring something to it. Oh my so. god! Um, and I'm you know I just I always harp on this, but it's just uh, maybe uh, you know Grant did give us some insight into this thing, but the, the Champions League coverage everybody's from somewhere else, so there it's almost like Sam you talking about the Premier League. They do it on Saturdays. It's all English, basically. Uh, you know, we have Howard on there now, but uh, why don't we just use their broadcast over there if, if they're going to be all English? So same, they do the same thing at CBS, maybe in reaction to what happened over at TNT, but Roberto Martinez, they have Carragher, who I can't understand half the time. He mumbles. Uh, Mika Richards and then and then Kate Abdes, great. But um, but God, why they just still limit American voices in the box, especially when there's so many players on the field. It just uh, it just annoys me. So anyway, uh, Barcelona uh, struggled mightily. Um, yeah, and, and you know, in a pathetic four to one home loss to PSG. So um, well, they look. I mean, they look old in the back, and PK had been coming off an injury, and he was probably premature, and he looked a couple steps slow and. Busquets is not the player he was. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like what Man City went through a year or so ago where Pep had to rebuild the team from the back. And I really feel like Barca, I mean, they have all sorts of problems, but I really feel like their back four needs to be like just totally redone because they got very exposed. And Mbappe, all I can say is Mbappe shirt sales must have gone through the roof after that game because he was just, he single-handedly won that game. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was uh, he was lined up against Gino Dest, the U.S. men's national team player. So um, that was quite a lesson because Dest, you know, is so skillful, so quick, uh, loves to go forward. But at the end of the day, you, you got to defend, and um, you got to defend against the best in the world when you're at Barcelona. Yeah, he so. was only I'd only I'd only tag him with one of the goals because Dembele didn't come back on the first goal, and then the other yeah. one wasn't really his fault. But yeah, I mean, it's just it just proves. You know, when you go up against it's a it's a whole different level when you go up against an Mbappe and you know, just a learning process for Dest. Right. Imagine being at that level and going up a level. It's like, wow, give me a break. So, yeah. Uh, so some other U.S. Uh, men, women's men's national team players, uh, Tyler Adams uh, had a pretty good outing um, for Leipzig. And did you watch uh, Weston McKinney play, Sam? Yeah, yeah, pretty Juve were pretty disappointing overall. They lost 2-1 to Porto and Yeah. Well, really they came out with 60 well. seconds that was a goal or something. They, they gave yeah. up two really strange goals. They gave up a goal uh in the first couple of minutes on a lazy back pass trying to play out of the back and then they gave up a goal basically right off the kickoff in the second half. They gave um, a hospital pass to the keeper. Yeah. I mean, usually, yeah that's always that's you know, always fun. It's a little representative God. of how, you know, they've played under Pirlo. It seems like everyone wants to be as casual as he was when he played, but they can't all get away with it. Um, so McKenney played for about an hour. He started and then came off and I just not a good day for Juve overall. Um, I, you know, I don't think he was particularly bad, but uh, yeah. And, and Sam, you had a, basically a concern about lack of, uh, effort by certain players. And, and well, you, I mean, this, gauge this. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching the Barca PSG game, which, as I said before, I found just kind of empty. And the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was just how Barca, how they just seemed to give up. And I mean, I, I just felt like there was no kind of will or desire. And, you know, I looked after the game and they didn't, they didn't even get one yellow card. Um, right. Not that that's necessarily indicative of how you're playing, but I feel like, you know, you get beat four one at home and, you know, you don't even get a yellow card. I, I don't know that, that, that stood out to me. I think like mm. there's a certain time when you have to just you know put your body in the way and, you know. I thought also, Sam, that Pochettino just outcoached Coleman. I mean, he he knew to have Mbappe on the left, you know, just wreaking havoc. And I just felt like Barca was just kind of even when it was one all, they were kind of holding on. And I felt like there was no there were no new answers, and it was just kind of a matter of time. And again, I think I think Pochettino. I mean, look, they had no Neymar and no Di, Di Maria, and they didn't really. I mean, I hate to say it, but they didn't really need them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it led it kind of led me to greater thinking about it. I mean, I'm certainly not advocating like dirty play. I just think fouling yeah. is kind of a necessary part of the game. I mean, it's like I mean, like like you're saying, Kevin, to take an example from basketball. I mean, it's like you don't let a guy just walk right to the rim and put it in. You know, you make him shoot two free throws. It's just kind of right. so you're basically you're, you're you're 
basically saying that, you know, usually in those games, somebody gets stuck in uh, and sort of fires up a team or tries I to just think so. I mean, the way Mbappe was just running by guys. I mean, PK yeah. did try to grab his shirt once, but I mean, you know, yeah. like a good defender, you know, the ball or the man, you know, they don't both get by. Not you know? both. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And in a game like that, it just it just surprised me there wasn't any. But that's cards. that's um, also Sam. That's that that kind of physicality has to happen more in the outside part of the field because there's just too much risk to do that inside the box, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and just, I'm not saying in the yeah, box. I'm saying yeah. you know, you, as soon as Mbappe gets the ball, I mean, yeah, like he was allowed to turn. He was doing whatever he wanted, and you know, yeah. uh, I I, I, I agree. I mean, you got it without being without trying to hurt somebody. You got to let them know that you're there. And I know it's not, it's not Barca's style. Barca yeah. wants to be the stylists, you know, yeah. the one controlling the game, the elegant ones, but I don't I, really I don't know, know what they are now, Sam. I, I can't quite figure out what their style is because they're, they're kind of caught in between both of those styles. Yeah. Right. I mean, I look, so, yeah. sorry. It made me think though about soccer in this country. And, and I still feel like, I don't know how, how you guys remember it, but I feel like in college when there was like a yellow card, it was like this big deal. You know, like the, sometimes I feel like the player even had to go off the field. And I don't know, I think our attitudes here to fouling and yellow cards is sort of it's sort of dated. And it makes me I don't like it because I feel like it still has this feeling that soccer is like a game for kids. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it made me think of this article I read in The New Yorker a while back by Daniel Alarcon, who's a Peruvian. Well, he's born in Peru, moved here when he was really young. He's talking about growing up playing soccer in Alabama and how, you know, this is in the 80s, mind you, but he was saying, like, you know, it was a game that was essentially thought of for children. You know, none of my teammates have ever seen adults play the game before. And I still think, you know, I'm obviously not talking about the guys playing in Champions League, but I think in general, the attitude towards soccer remains that, you know, it's this kind of fun thing for kids to do. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it sent me into the spiral. I don't uh, know how you, know, you guys feel about it. I agree with that. You know, because look, I go to, you know, if you go to some games, you hear the things that some of the fans yell out and they're so ill-informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's like, wow, I'm still, you know, I think the, you know, if guys like, you know, Grail and my age, it's, it's sort of like we've watched the progression of more and more kids playing. And mm-hmm. so you have more adults who have played as kids. I think the big problem is you don't learn a ton as a kid, as a little kid. Um, and you don't learn the intricacies of the game because we talked about this with Grant Wall, you know, later in the in the show about they don't break it down for you so so much. You know, CBS has got a long studio show now, but you know, ESPN doesn't have anything barely. Um, and you need to explain the intricacies of the game. And it seems like I think you're right. A lot of people just don't know the game. They haven't watched an adult game and asked the right questions. Um, and so they, they go to their kids' games and they remember when they played as kids. And that's what I remember what, what Skip said, Skip Gilbert, who's head of United States Youth Soccer, said is like he wants to expand it out to having more, just more kids playing in general, right? right. Like you don't have to be an elite player to play, which reminded me of when I grew up in England, like everybody played. I don't care if you were. Like uh, right, you were right. like an intellectual kid who was 12 years old. You were on the playground every break playing soccer. And it just meant, and, and then those guys were guys that also went to games. So just culturally, it was just so much more in, intertwined with things than it is here. Here it's like, I think you're identified as a good player, 10 years old, and then you go down that path, which ends up to, you know, ends up being a lot of burnout. But you don't just have, I don't know, there's just not a broad appreciation, to your point, Sam, of soccer, like soccer being respected. It's more like kickball. I mean, like a lot of people look at soccer as almost being like what you did in gym when you were like five years old. Yeah. You know, and look, I've experienced this at Sirius XM and also at ESPN, where there's just, they do not respect the Americans' view of the game. So I don't know if that goes counter to the point I was just talking about where, yeah. you know, a lot of Americans don't know what they're talking about sometimes when you talk about third man running or checking back to the ball or anything that, that yeah. sort of at a higher level you play of, you know, like say college and above. So um, we, we still have a long way to go. It's, it's unbelievable. Now we have players that are playing overseas and yet we're not represented uh, here. It just seems like potential for growth. So hopefully business people still keep looking at it that way. So, um, all right. So I get your yellow card point as well. Um, uh, Sam, uh, what's going on in Syria? Ah, um, 
Yeah, big game this weekend, Inter uh, against Milan and the, the the derby, or you allow me to say the, it. Um, the derby or the derby. Uh, Milan are, uh, sorry, Inter are now um, in first place, just a point ahead of Milan. So that should be a really, really fun game. Um, there was a good game this past weekend, one of the ones I suggested betting on correctly. Uh, I'll get into that more later. But uh, there's a really interesting goal. This is the Inter-Lazio game. There was a, a free kick and about five yards outside the box guy shot it and it deflected off his own man who was not in the wall, but sort of in line with the wall a little bit out uh, and, you know, beat the keeper who had absolutely no chance because of this deflection, this massive deflection that it took. And it kind of got me thinking, I mean, I watch a lot of hockey where obviously the deflection is, is King, but why don't teams try this more? I mean, to your point earlier, Grail, you know, teams are putting five, six guys in the wall. Mm-hmm. It means your numerical advantage on the rest of the field is, you know, basically two to one, even more. And why don't you try to shoot a low shot into like your team, like your guys' legs and try for a deflection from, especially when you're really close to the box and it's hard to get it over the wall and down again. Yeah. I mean, maybe it sounds a little outlandish, but there's a lot of talk about improving, you know, free kicks and being more efficient with them. And just watching it was like, wow, the goalie had absolutely no chance on that. I, I think it's a very valid point. It's also why I'm such a big fan of the low, hard cross. Mm-hmm. into like the six yard box because the chances of a deflection are tremendous. And that's why you see the Kevin De Bruyne's of the world, you know, just hitting balls into that area with pace because they know mm-hmm. even if Sterling isn't on any, the end of it, there's going to be some defender lurching at it. No, it's not, mixer. no it's not, mixer. Yeah. And I don't no, think I it's know, that no, difficult. I mean, like if you're there, like clearly yeah. someone's going to be open because the half yeah. the team's in the wall. Yeah. Like, it's much easier to, sh- to shoot the ball 10 yards off a guy's foot than it is, yeah. you know, 20 yards into the goal. So, yeah. well, look, this is how the game's yeah. changed guys, because when I was playing the, the balls did not move as much as they move now. So you can do things with them that you couldn't do before the games adjusted in that respect. A lot of guys are free kick specialists. They can do amazing things with the balls or measure the angles and what side it's going on. And so the walls have changed. The, wall, the, ball, to, the balls change, the balls change and the wall has like changed. God, so we, we can manipulate it. You used to look for that guy in the far post, and I bet you that starts to come back again because you're going to have a numerical advantage in the air at the far post. So, um, um, so yeah, that's, ball, that's ball interesting. Th- but I think you're right. You that you know, put some guys, your own guys, on the wall. I mean, or but put ball technology, ball technology advancements has definitely helped the offensive part of the game versus goalkeeping because the ball just moves so much more than it ever did and you can do so much more with the ball you can bend a ball now the way you you and i would dream of doing flinny in like in the early 80s you know the ball was so much heavier right 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 okay all right so um let's get to uh, to grant wall we have a good interview with him it was good to get caught up with grant he uh he just uh, fills us in on a lot of things we don't know about. And even our young brainiac there, Sam Griswold, tried to stump him and it didn't happen. So you listen to Over the Ball. Uh, we'll be back with our interview with Grant Wall. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, you know him, you love him. From all his work on Sports Illustrated, as a longtime writer, also a lot of the Fox soccer coverage uh, now does it two times a week, if that's the way you say that, uh, podcast football with Grant Wall. Um, got a great interview coming up this week with Ivan Gazidis. Uh, at AC Milan. He's got uh, MLS in his background. He's one of Grail's teammates. Uh, we welcome back to Over the Ball, Mr. Grant Wall. How are you, Grant? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. That sounds like a great interview, Ivan. Uh, man, he's he's a big player in the world of, uh, of football, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's at AC Milan now, has been there for about two and a half years, has Milan back toward the top of Syria ah, for the first time in a while. It's kind of crazy how long it's been since Milan played in Champions League. But uh, they're, they're back this year. You got Zlatan doing his thing. And uh, obviously Ivan Gazidis spent a decade at Arsenal as well. And before that was 
uh, with MLS uh, from the start of the league for the first 14 years or so. So he hasn't moved that often, but he's had some really interesting jobs in different places over the years. And uh, Grail used to carry his towel in water as a player. <laughs> uh, I think he was, on, he, on he was the striker. I played in <laughs> midfield, and I I had a lot of assists thanks to, thanks to Ivan. So my, my, he was a player, huh, Grail? He, he could was be a really play. excellent player. Excellent player. Really good. Really a great a grafter, as you would say, a guy who just really ran hard up front, almost like a Suarez type guy, and and phenomenal in the air. Just well, you know, I mean, they, they, uh, the, the Greeks talk about that transition from, from warrior to philosopher. So it uh, seems like he's made the, the transition pretty well and pretty easily. It's tough to give up. It's tough to put your boots up. Grant, you weren't really a player, right? You, you were like a baseball player or something? You, you... Um, I, yeah, I mean, like I played on the old Sports Illustrated uh, indoor team at Chelsea Piers back in the late 90s. And it was funny because we actually played against Ivan Gazidis' MLS team one time. And and there was a fight in oh, that was the game. Ridiculous. Because yeah. these corporate leagues, the lower the skill level, the more chance for a fight, I think, oh, yeah, whether right, it's basketball right. or soccer. And I was the only person who knew everyone on both teams for the MLS Sports <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky game. you. <laughs> and so as I'm like frantically trying to break up this skirmish, because like Ivan's on the field, I'm like, these are the people I covered. Please don't yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually it got worked out. Well, those those Chelsea League players, oh, man, appear, it's like that brutal. Because also, I don't think most soccer players even know how to play the indoor game. And it's different. The rules are different. You know, guys are checking each other into the boards and stuff. It's just it gets crazy. And uh, it's just, yeah, you want to stay. You want to have a beer after the game and everybody should get along. I, I noticed that when I, I went through like two cycles what happens is you play the same teams over and over. You eventually get to know everybody and you're like, all right, you know, he's not that good of a player, but he's a good guy. So let's just get through this. So, uh, so a lot going on in this, in the soccer world, Grant, um, we're, uh, what's up with Barca? I mean, you know, how bad are their problems and, and is Messi? Why wouldn't he jump ship there uh, to like get their house in order? Yeah. I mean, this was another referendum on Barcelona and the state of Barcelona defeat. Not that different from the 8-2 loss to Bayern just a few months ago, 4-1 at home, the PSG, Mbappe, just amazing. Hat trick, mm -hmm. Messi oh. outplayed. Um, Sergino so so Dest just, you know, just burned and skinned on the rough, outside. Rough there. day for Dest, rough yeah. day for all the Barcelona mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. And you come away from it knowing that Barcelona is really in danger now of not winning a trophy this season. Not that anyone's expecting them to win Champions League, yeah. but they're they're basically out of Champions League now. They are down two in the Copa del Rey to Sevilla, heading into the return leg. They are, I think, nine points in the league behind Atletico Madrid. And if you're Messi, who has said that he's not going to make a decision on next season until the end of this season it's hard to think that he would be it with Barcelona next season unless he is just so wedded to the idea of staying in Barcelona mm. uh, and if somehow the new president is going to come in and they have an election first week of March can somehow get their finances right but that club's a billion dollars in debt and if they're going to bring in guys for next season to try and put next to Messi, like Erling Holland, who like, you know, or someone like that, and a few other guys, they're going to have to sell a bunch of guys. And those guys are on inflated salaries as it is. I don't see it happening. And so I see Messi going to Man City or PSG. So is that the biggest reason for their deficits? Uh, financially is it the players or lack of ticket sales that because of the COVID situation or it seemed or multiple problems financially the, the, the biggest single factor in Barcelona's giant debt is bad contracts to too many players for too long and they didn't do what Bayern Munich did to move off guys so you know Bayern made some hard choices sent Aryan Robin and Frank Ribéry on their way and got young guys and, right. and won big trophies and found a way to, to start a new era. 
and, and Barcelona just hasn't done that. And and their their leadership should have been better. They should have made hard decisions. There was a good story in the New York Times recently by Rory Smith and uh, Tarek Panja that begins with the scene from the Usman Dembele deal when Bartomeu, the outgoing president at Barca, gets negotiated out of his socks by Dortmund and, and ends up paying far more than he said he would internally to get Usman Dembele, who has been an injury-filled mm-hmm. disaster. And that was sort of this microcosm of the problems with, with Barcelona. Now, COVID has had an impact, but mm-hmm. if Barcelona tries to get away with blaming all of this on COVID, they're just trying to get out of their own blame game because they're the ones who <laughs> It's like Governor Abbott in Texas blaming the uh, the, the whole <laughs> shutdown on on windmills, apparently. So uh, Governor Bartomeu, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I mean, it's interesting because you have to get rid of good players occasionally, and I've always noticed that about Barcelona. They just hung on to guys for way too long, and the problem is the motivation factor. You're you become sort of satiated and relaxed, and you know, p- you know, part of that whole. Uh, you know, interplay is that you got to be playing well all the time uh, just in case they move you, you know? So um, I guess, yeah, Placer did get a little sedentary there. And man, it's been coming for a long time. But to look at Barcelona, the shape that they're in, I don't see Messi staying there only because it's really, I think it's the logic. He didn't leave, he won't leave the club. The club kind of left him uh, with all these bad decisions for so long. And last year he sort of threatened as well. And yet they still haven't gotten their act together. So I think that that's, you know, I, I bet you the odds are more that he will leave than, than he'll stay. Do you agree? At this point, because I believe him when he said he wanted to leave last summer. Yeah. Um, and he'll be out of contract this this summer. And I think Messi wants to win Champions League again and feels like he can't do that with Barcelona. He's correct in feeling that way, at least in the next couple of years. Yeah. And Man City, I still think Man City would be a better place for him to go than PSG. Like... I mean, Man City is a team that obviously has it going right now, so that he would be surrounded by guys so that he wouldn't have to do it himself. He'd be playing for Pep Guardiola, whom he knows, trusts, cares for. And I, I think PSG, like, it, yes, he could potentially you know, be with Neymar again. I don't see... Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe being on the same team. So I think there's a feeling that Mbappe is leaving um, to Real, Real Madrid, most likely. But part of me just doesn't really want to see Messi in the French domestic league. No. And, and people are going to get on me who like the French league, but like it's just not, it's the same issue I have with Mbappe in the French league or Neymar is there's something about like that domestic league that even PSG's own fans don't think it's a big deal to win the French league. And so half their games aren't really things people want to view all that much. So yeah, I I, I prefer to see Messi at Man City. Uh, Grail. Yeah. uh, Grant, great having you with us. Uh, Let me just play out one scenario for you potentially. So when the election happens for the president, Laporta gets elected. He's already held that position there as president. He apparently has a really good relationship with Messi. Um, Laporta comes in, ditches Ronald Coleman and brings in Javi Hernandez, um, who has made no bones about being interested in that job. Would that be enough? And, and they have to dump some of the players like Dembele and Griezmann and stuff. But do you think that would be enough to potentially keep uh, messy there it might be if it really comes down to messy kind of internally saying to himself this is the only club where i've ever played and i don't want to go through adjusting to a new club um and i guess that's possible you know i mean like I, 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 this comparison I'm about to make, don't take the wrong way. I don't view myself as Lionel Messi, but like I was at Sports Illustrated for 23 <laughs> years. That was the only place I ever worked. And I turned down a lot of really nice job opportunities over the years, even when Sports Illustrated was declining, because 
that's the only place I'd ever been. Mm-hmm. And I could do what I, you know, I, I enjoyed what I was doing, all that stuff. So we, we certainly know that Messi's getting paid well mm-hmm. uh, based on the leaked contract recently. Um, so there may be some of that, but we, there's no way for any of us to know how much of that, you know, how much of what Messi did last summer saying he wanted to leave was to try to get Bartomeu out as president, which succeeded, by the way. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the big difference between Messi and Ronaldo is the fact that Messi stayed where he is, and I think he does like that. But if you look at the difficulties he's had playing with Argentina and now with Barcelona, and then you watch Man City play, wow, as a player, you want to get on the pitch with those guys because they're, they're firing on all cylinders and, and they could use them. You know, um, they, they, they really could. So let's, let's talk uh, domestically, but Champions League as well and EPL with Christian Pulisic. Um, we were always worried, could he, could he play at that level? He can. Uh, you know, he's a, a threat. He's, uh, he puts some uh, you know, numbers on the board, but he gets injured. Um, and this is becoming a big concern. Do you think this is what's influencing uh, Tuchel's, you know, sitting him? Six games now he's been on, you know, hasn't played any EPL games. The, this kind of scary thing is I don't think it's just injury related that Tuchel's yeah. not starting Pulisic and has not started him yet, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, I guess not in the league. I think he did in the FA yeah, Cup. He, against yeah, somebody. he played in the Cup game one game. Um, yeah. But I always thought it was interesting when Tuchel came in and a lot of people said, oh, this is great for Pulisic because he played for Tuchel at Dortmund. I was one of them. Um, if you look closely, their relationship at Dortmund and the amount that Tuchel used Pulisic then, not that much. Right. Uh, and, and so just to assume that because they had known each other that this was good for Pulisic, I actually don't think this was that great for Pulisic to bring in Tuchel to Chelsea. And, and we'll see where it goes from here. Now, there are clearly, we're talking on Friday here, uh, this morning, uh, Tuchel said that Pulisic has a calf issue. So it sounds like he, he won't be playing uh, on Saturday. And wow. the injury situation, just the chronic nature of them with Pulisic, you know, we already mentioned Ari and Robin. I, I hope Pulisic doesn't have a career that, and Robin certainly had some good moments, scored a Champions League final winning goal. But his career was defined by injuries. I hope Pulisic is not viewed in that Robin-like way. And, and he's still 22, but like it's it's really concerning. Or Michael us, Owen. Like yeah. A, the same yeah, or even for, tale. For, for us to bring it home, uh, Josie Altidore, you know, uh, yeah. inopportune hamstring pulls. He's battled those things uh, the entire time. You know, looking at, uh, you know, a person's body, I had always said that I thought Josie was overdeveloped in some ways. He seemed to be really uh, muscular up top, but I don't know. He always had hamstring problems. Polisic is that sort of thin, wiry type player uh, that is prone to injuries, to, to you know, leg pulls. I mean, that wiriness uh, gives him all that quickness, but uh, it's obviously becoming a problem. So, And I think you're right, Grant. I forgot about that because uh, Sancho was, you know, that we were, we were watching um, – you know, Pulisic play in Germany that he wasn't always getting on that first side. And that was with Tuchel. So, um, you know, in- interesting points. Mm-hmm. We, um, the She Believes tour is going on again. And I just, tr- you know, try to fire up and try to get excited about it. But it just seems like, you know, on the men's side of the equation, there are too many games and too many tournaments and too many cups. And I can't keep track of them all. And it seems like on the women's mm-hmm. side, uh, there's the She Believes tour, which is they just sort of like friendlies that they set up. Uh, but anyway, the U.S. had a tough game last night against Canada. Uh, but what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, the women right now? What's going on? I mean, it's an Olympic year. If you know, mm-hmm. knock on wood, that the Olympics happen, um, yeah. and and so people will pay attention to the Olympics. And you know, at least the She Believes tournament is happening because like Japan was supposed to come, decided not to, got replaced by Argentina, England didn't come. You know, but at least it is a, in theory, a competitive tournament where you get right. three points for a win and one for a tie. And and so I think these games are important for the players because they do have something at stake 
to earn a spot on this 18 player Olympic roster, which is a lot harder to make than the 23 player world cup roster. And there's a lot so, of new, there's a lot of new players in, right. A lot of new names there. I think. Yeah. I mean, like, especially like Katarina Macario has mm-hmm. generated a lot of excitement. She just signed with Leon. Um, I think there's going to be a question of where to play her. She played midfield last night. I don't think she was nearly as impactful as when she had played on the front line. Um, Carly Lloyd started up front last night. Alex Morgan, who's just coming back, came on as a sub. Rose Lavelle hasn't been at full strength. She came on as a sub, scored the winning goal. So there's competition for playing spots. Megan Rapino really just coming back to playing again after missing almost all of 2020. Um, and so there's a, a, like the fiercest competition is not in the She Believes Cup games, it's inside the U.S. team for spots right. on the Olympic roster. And and we'll see how they how that goes. I, I think they're going to win this tournament. The Canada game was it was tough to break through. They finally did. Um, I, I, I like what Vladko Andonovsky is doing as the coach in general. He seems to have the respect of the players. Uh, they seem to be really well prepared for set pieces more than in the past. Um, you know, they did get exposed defensively on the break against Canada a few times where a a team with better finishers would have taken advantage of that. Um, but this is a U.S. women's team. I think it's gone 30, how many games without a loss? It's crazy. Um, so I also have enjoyed, uh, over the past year, the ability now for us in the U.S. to see more European club games on the women's side right. than we could in the past is ATA football has started to try and build a business where they're showing games from the English women's league, from the French women's league and more U S national team players are going to England in particular, and we can see them play. Um, so I I've enjoyed that. Like I actually, most weekends we'll try to watch at least one game with like man city or man United with some of these U S women's players. Oh yeah. I've started to watch some of them as well. You go from, uh, you know, the premier league to the auto show where you can purchase a car at auction right to the women's league. Then after that, so it's kind of nice. It's a nice morning. Um, anyway, so Sam, you had a question. Uh, Sam wants you to clear up some things. Uh, Grant, he was afraid he was going to put you on the spot with this question, but I'm like, Grant knows Go all, sees all. I, I was not that worried about it. Um, <laughs> anyway, speaking of, of games that don't matter much when you were talking about PSG, um, I, I sort of had that feeling watching the Club World Cup final last week, which I think that's what it's called, uh, which Bayern won against Tigres. And my general impression of that tournament is it doesn't really matter unless the European team doesn't win. You know, it seems like the the challenger, as it were, cares a lot about it. Um, so I wonder first if you think that's fair. And then I was kind of wondering if you could explain how the, the continental tournaments work in South and Latin America, because this was the first time a CONCACAF team was ever in the final, but... I thought before the Mexican teams used to play in Libertadores. Now they don't. Now they may again in the future. So, again, I, I'm I'm a little confused Man, by that. I, I feel like I'm sitting in the middle of a, a Wesley and Princeton uh, <laughs> discussion there's, with my professor. Go ahead, professor. No, I mean there's a lot going on here. But what what yeah. I will say first off to your first question is, even FIFA realizes that the FIFA Club World Cup is not what it should be. Mm-hmm. that the stakes aren't high enough, people don't care enough. It's just a hassle for especially the European champion to go off to Qatar for a week in the middle of the club season. Um, and it's not frankly as important to them as it, as it should be. Mm-hmm. So that's why Johnny Infantino, the FIFA president, had been pushing, has been pushing a, I think it's a 24 team FIFA Club World Cup that would take place once every four years at the end of the, the club season. And I, they went so far, originally it was supposed to happen this year, by the way, uh, but it's happening in China. Uh, there was some pushback from some of the European clubs, but it sounded like it was going to end up, they were going to end up agreeing to it. And you would have several teams from Europe, several teams from every continent, even three from CONCACAF, 
and and you would have a tournament that theoretically would give more status and stature to the club world cup champion um i kind of like the idea actually as long as people as long as the clubs take it seriously i kind of like the idea of just once every four years because if you did it every year i think it would be a problem um so there's that i'm not sure if that's now going to be planned for like there's like a wikipedia page devoted to this uh but it's like planned for either like 23 or 24 maybe um your second question in terms of continental champions yes Mexican teams played in the South American tournament, the Copa Libertadores for several years. Uh, I think some went deep in the tournament. Nobody ever won it um, for Mexico, but they stopped. It was a TV bonanza for Conmo ball to have the Mexican teams involved, but they stopped. For, I don't even know the exact reason that they stopped including the Mexican teams. CONCACAF was never a fan of it because it sort of made a mockery of the CONCACAF Champions League if Mexican teams cared much more about being in Libertadores. Um, but I do think, you know, and I had on my podcast not too long ago, the Commonwealth president, Alejandro Dominguez, who weirdly, well, weirdly, kind of in a cool way, he went to the University of Kansas. He's from Paraguay. Um, and um, and I, I asked him, I was like, you know, what, what about getting the Mexican teams and even U.S. teams mm-hmm. into uh, Libertadores? And he's not against it. Like, he would like to see it happen. As with these questions over the years, it's always a question of, like, just logistics, travel. You know, Mexico is a long ways from a lot of these South American places. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is even farther away, and so can you make that work, I guess, is the question, but, um, you know, and where does CONCACAF fall into this? They just announced an expanded CONCACAF Champions League, mm-hmm. yeah. which, you know, it's, it's, it's harder for teams in Mexico and the U.S. to get excited about non-U.S., non-Mexican CONCACAF opponents, not to disrespect them, because if we're being honest, MLS teams still haven't won CONCACAF Champions League yet. Right, right. But that just, that explains the the craziness of all these leagues and things. The one thing that interests me to go back to the first question is that sounds the closest, that sounds like something I'd really like to see and I'd look forward to. And the two off years, maybe between the World Cup, there's that, you know, FIFA, you know, club championship. And man, that would be, if if it's every four years, people are invested in it, you know, and they're going to, they're going to want to win that. And that would be, good for television ratings. That would be the closest thing you'd see to a super league basically at that point, you know, with, uh, with that. I think so. I mean, like there's, there's constant rivalry and, and, you know, rattling of sabers between FIFA and UEFA. And so UEFA has the King tournament champions league. It's annual. It produces a ton of money. Uh, FIFA has always wanted to have a club tournament that would be a, a, a giant success and they've never succeeded in being able to do it because this current situation with the annual club world cup isn't it yeah. and so i think it comes down to is uefa gonna let fifa set, have their once every four years club extravaganza even if that means that it's sort of might start to overshadow the importance of the Champions League. Champions League's still going to be there every year. Right. I bet you they fight that because that's, you know, you will take away something, cannibalize the whole market a little bit, I guess. And what would happen during the year when you you have a club championship right on the heels of Champions League? It just, it would seem odd. So, uh, Grail, we got to wrap it up soon. Yeah, this is, a, yeah, final question, Grant. Uh, since Sam didn't want to put you on the spot, I'm going to. <laughs> Uh, I'm just curious what you have thought of CBS Sports's Champions League coverage. As somebody who's worked in uh, in the in broadcast, uh, just your take now that they've had some time to hone their craft. I mean, their big challenge, and they would acknowledge this at CBS, is we have to pay to watch Champions League in mm-hmm. English on CBS, and at the same time. We can watch for free 
many of those games in Spanish mm -hmm. on free television from Univision. And so it's a real challenge for CBS to, to justify, okay, here's why you should pay that money. Um, I liked the way that they put the, the whip around show during the group stage on their cable channel, mm -hmm. CBS, uh, because there's so many games going on during group stage. I, I personally, what I would do is I would watch the two screens. I'd watch the Galazzo show, the whip around, and I'd pick one game one marquee game that I wanted to see most because you know you can't watch five screens at the same time. Mm -hmm. I can. Um, so I thought that was okay. Um, you know, I like the fact that they've got a studio that a studio show, you know, like ESPN right. plus doesn't even like do stuff at halftime pregame or post game for almost all of their. Yeah. They're phoning it in. Yeah. And, and so I think Kate Abdo is fantastic. I love Roberto Martinez. I'd like to see a little more of an American influence yeah. um, because I think there are good Americans out there. And I think what's happened, I may have mentioned this to you before. I mean, like CBS is actually saying this. They're noting, oh, look at all these Americans playing in Champions right. League games that matter now. Well, just as those players are showing that Americans can do well in this context american media people can too so yeah you know, I, I, I hope they I, recognize that i think it's the the journalist edge of things is missing uh and you know that includes with you and your coverage it's the grand yes. wall thing but you know i'm trying not uh, to be self-serving guys we need <laughs> no, hey, we but, said from the get-go grant you should be on that show well now we we talked about it at the top of the show but it it, it sort of annoys me because you love martinez he's very good but uh you know sometimes the i forget it's not McManaman. Who's the English Jamie guy? Jamie Carragher. The Carragher, right? I, I can't understand him a lot of times, um, which is fine. I'm a great player. I get it. But we have another English guy in there for American coverage. We have more players playing over there, like Grant said. Now, they bring a woman in, and they bring an English woman in. Now, our women are the best in the world. I don't get it. Like, you know, why isn't Julie Foudy in there? I don't know. Somebody, it just seems like there is this predisposition to just not Kate's an give honorary American, American credit. by the way. Cage is an honorary American. Kate, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, LA. Kate's Kate's good because that's why Kate's wound up at Fox. She's wound up at TBS. She's wound up, you know, now with CBS. I mean, she's got it. She's she's got it down. And I I love the way she sort of handles, uh, you know, everything because like the TBS coverage was like, I mean, that poor that poor woman was sitting in the middle of that craziness. These guys were like doing fashion shoots in the middle of the of the coverage, you know, and, and just joshing with each other. So she's it's much more serious now. And I I do like the coverage that in that Galoza show, but. Um, but yeah, I wonder why, you know, why, why, why still Americans have to deal with that one more. And it's here home. I remember, There's, you know, playing in M M MISL and it was like, it was like I was in a foreign country. I'd step onto the field. I was the only American. It was like, and they would be like, get, you know, get out of here. I'd be like, oh, I, I was born I'm, and raised here. Give me a break. I'm curious to see what happens because of the virus. They have, CBS has done their, their studio show out of London out of the IMG studios there. Uh, and so I am curious if they continue doing that post virus or if they start doing the studio show in New York. Mm -hmm. And if they start doing the studio show in New York, you, I mean, I, I have no idea if they will or not, but you might see maybe more Americans involved. Right. We I might think. see Grant Wall. I, who knows? Um, I, what I, yeah, I, I would say that, um, yeah, I, I think overall, I, I one thing that really sticks out to me, and I, I'm a cord cutter, is the amount of time they have for pregame show and postgame, they have a lot more of it available. So like you get 60 minutes postgame, and you can have some real discussions yeah. on that CBS studio show that you couldn't have even when Fox had it, and they had maybe 10 to 15 minutes at most. So I, as a consumer, really enjoy you know, most of those longer discussions because right. you can actually get into, it's not just quick sound bites and you're out. 
Yeah, but that's that's you know we've talked about this before in the show. That is where you really generate interest in players and league, you know, machinations that are happening. And you know, you, you like the NFL coverage; it, it goes on forever. You know, they're talking about the minutia of a of a wide receiver or something. It's like, but that's what generates interest, and that's why people get invested in these players. So I think you know, Grant. See, we we tried to stump him on the show, but he came up with a great answer there. I think that explains <laughs> a lot about the hosts that and not the host and the talent because they're coming out of London. So maybe, maybe that's, that's one of the answers and they'll cut us some more slack when they come stateside. The, the one other point I would make on this, and this applies during world cups, in my opinion, and it applies during champions league is that a, a, there are a lot of good English broadcasters, pundits out there. The best ones for me who also do World Cups and Champions League are ones who watch games regularly outside of England. And you can tell who does and who doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So like when Lyon goes to the semifinals of Champions League last year, you could tell that Roberto Martinez had seen Lyon a lot. He knew who Awar was, Mm -hmm. you know, their, their emerging young star. And not everyone knew who Awar was. And and so like, you know, Lyon was probably what they finished seventh in the in the French league last year. You had to like seek them out. But if they're actually in the competition that you're commentating on, you really should be up to speed on Lyon. You think they, you know, I remember when I was working with Rodney Marsh over at Sirius XMFC, it was like if I asked him about MLS, he would just glaze over and say, I I don't really care. And I'm like, wow, you have a soccer show here in the States and you don't care about MLS, you know? So it's, it's sort of uh, indicative I call, the, of- I, I call it the Diego Forlan effect because you can tell if someone is, is totally England centric. Right. Like they would always talk about Diego Forlan being a failure at Man United, even though this guy won the golden boot in Spain, like on numerous occasions. Yeah, it just and doesn't like, count if it's not a, England. He wasn't a failure, he was really good. Yeah, and you know, I went at it with Rodney the harshest because I had suggested Bob Bradley as you know a coach to coach in the Premier League, and he says, oh, "Please, underqualified, <laughs> underqualified." I'm like, I wanted to come through the microphone and two foot him. You mean like oh. Bob Bradley? And then the way they treated Bob Bradley when he was over there it was right. it was it was horrible. It was terrific. So anyway, all right, we've we've made fun of the English enough. We can, <laughs> we can wrap it up as an Irish kid. Uh, well, Grant Wall, uh, we appreciate it. You have Ivan Gazidis on, and if you have not, uh, if you don't know anything about Ivan, I mean, I think he's like sort of a linchpin with American soccer. He was here. Uh, during the development of MLS, worked there for years, then Arsenal, and and uh, now at Milan, and and Grant has him on his show, so it's uh, I'm sure it's very enlightening. Maybe he'll come back here one day, Grant, uh, to to finish up his career. I would love to see that. Take all his worldly international knowledge and bring it home. We talked about. I asked him if he wanted to be MLS commissioner someday. Wow. Um, he kind of hedged. I mean, he just got to Milan a couple of years ago, so, mm-hmm. but okay. uh, but he has he has great memories of his MLS time. Yeah, he's in Milan wearing those fancy pinstripe three-piece suits and, uh, and jewelry. <laughs> All right. Grant Wall, thanks, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball. You have a great podcast. And, uh, again, it's on uh, twice a week. So uh, so check out um, this week's – is it this week's interview with Ivan? It was, it was out Monday with Ivan Gazidis. So twice a week. There's 78 interviews you can listen to on that show. All right. Football with Grant Wall. Grant Wall, thanks so much for joining us on OTB, pal. Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, always great getting caught up with Grant Wall. You tried to stump him there, Sam. You, you, you failed. I mean, you failed miserably. Guy yeah, went to Princeton, one of my safety need, schools. We need Grant on that Champions League coverage. Yeah, I know. I'd like to see a journalist on there. I mean, you yeah. know, I'd like to see some American voices more. Jamie Carragher can go back to his other job over at Sky Sports or wherever he is, and we can slot Grant right in there next to Roberto Martinez. We don't need four people up there, though, by the way. And we still we still got to figure out what happened to Kyle Martino. I mean, Kyle was yeah, uh, just disappeared. The, the, the I mean, gold standard. The, yeah. Is he in the witness protection program? What's going on? Sure. We got to find him. I'm not sure. So uh, that yeah, that's unfortunate. So we didn't talk yeah. about the EPL very much. Um, but uh, but there was some news coming out of Crystal Palace, Sam. 
Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Um, we've been following these, you know, racism stories for a long time, obviously. And uh, Wilfried Zaha says that he's basically just not going to kneel before games anymore, that he finds it degrading. Um, this is his quote. He says, I feel like taking a knee is degrading. Uh, growing up, my parents just let me know that I should be proud to be black no matter what. And I just think we should stand tall. I think the meaning behind the whole thing is becoming something that we just do now. That's not enough. I'm not going to take the knee. Uh, he's been backed up by the Black Lives Matter UK branch, um, saying they he has a point and taking the sure. knee without any action really attached to mm -hmm. it is just kind of an empty gesture. Yeah, very, very so, different than the Colin Kaepernick I, situation, right? So I yes, agree, it's interesting I, I how these symbols, them. you know, how how they can shift so so sure. quickly. Um, well, what happens too, Sam, is it becomes something that white people become comfortable with, and it kind of eases the guilt of white people that hey, we're you know. Everybody's taking a knee for Black Lives Matter, so that's okay. But I, I get Zaha's point, which is at some point it just becomes like, you know, putting your hand over your heart or something, and, and nobody's even recognizing the meaning of it anymore. So I think you need to move on to something else. I think when they had the names on the back of the jerseys, good move. The kneeling, good move. But what's next? Because nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and it also... Um reminds me of what's his name cuban mark cuban saying no national anthem before his the games. i understand with that because i i mean i love my country and i would do anything for this country but I, i'm at a sporting event why do i don't and there was don't outrage you saw the outrage i mean well, of course, you know, in this the state, false in the outrage state of texas people went nuts like how dare who do you think you are it's you know, like just, well he owns the team yeah the, but, the, the nba even said that he had to put it back in because it's league policy yeah, but that just sort of just jingoistic. I don't know. It's it's you know, it, and it's I don't know. It's and then you get I don't know. People raid the Capitol and carrying the flag, so it's just people yeah. are all uh, for cocta, I guess is the word. So uh, all right. So what else is going on? You, who watched the Nicholas and Elka? Uh, yeah, so I watched. It's on my list. It's in it's in my list, but uh, haven't gotten to it yeah, yet. Yeah, it's ninety minutes. Well worth spent. You know. And, and, I, and I'd forgotten a lot of the, uh, the Nico and Elka story and uh, obviously played at a lot of different teams. Um, I was saying to Sam before we came on that it reminds me a little bit of the Balotelli story, just in terms of a, a guy who couldn't quite latch on at many places because he had some authority issues. But again, I think it's the, my takeaway overall was I felt more sympathy towards the guy and certainly... Yeah that what went down um, in the World Cup in 2010 in South Africa that was kind of all pinned on him, sure. you know, ended up being just like the facts were not accurate. And he didn't say what they said he said to the coach. And it wasn't a one, it wasn't a one way story. And uh, so I, overall, I thought it was, and he's a great family guy. So I thought that actually that part of the story in terms of his relationship with his wife's wife and his kids was really nice. So. Look, I, you know, this goes back to the Zaha story. I think, yeah. I do not think people realize what it is like to, including myself, to be a black man and the yeah. things uh, that they are dealt, that they have to deal with. Now, Balotelli, you can just tell people, um, you know, would not give him the benefit of the doubt and would egg him on. And, and, you know, and so Anelka probably faced a lot of those same things. I talk about my teammates, you know, when I grew up in this lily white town, and then when I played with, with two guys that were, um, were, were black and they were from, I think Bermuda originally, but uh, you know, one of the players, uh, my buddy Derek was loud, you know, he would, he was a yeller and I was a yeller, but people would come at him and I, it would, and it would be, it would turn into racial stuff right away. So I think to go back to the Zaha thing and the kneeling, I think people are trying to say, "Hey, man, be aware of what others go through." That's yeah. all. And so maybe it has used its shelf life up to say, "Guys, this is just, just be, do the right thing. Don't, uh, yeah. you know, when a racist thing comes out of the, uh, you know, from the fan base." have it dealt with properly exactly so players so, don't yeah, get threatened and yeah where's the change that's the thing is they did all this and i just feel like you know between social media and fan be well not so much fan behavior because they're not around but yeah just the hate is still out there and it's time to do something else to try to get rid of the hate i've been watching uh, city on a hill and showtime and it was it's really good it's about boston right when i was living there in the uh in the uh, mid eighties, late eighties, and just uh, the racial strife and tensions mm -hmm. that were, were there then. So uh, it's sort of, uh, look, it's the third rail of American life here. So um, 
it's, I think America leads the way in so many ways. In, in fact, we used to, I don't know if we, uh, we can get back to that uh, anymore, but uh, it's amazing guys. When we talk about some of the things that happened in the Russian league or Belarus or, or mm-hmm. Italy, even uh, your Syria, ah, Sam, it's, it's disturbing. And um, so people just say, oh, it's, it doesn't exist. No, it does. And it's on a weekly basis. Cause unfortunately we have to talk about it every week here. So Sam, mm-hmm. I'll get off my soapbox and say what do you got for us this week as far as a, a quiz yeah so f- first i'll just give you my betting picks um although i will start by going over last week's which i got right both of them which was inter <laughs> no wonder you're gonna go over them again <laughs> inter to beat lazio and both teams to score that happened it was a 3-1 inter win and then i had verona to beat parma on monday they did uh that was 2-1 final so if you stuck with me from the start you're up a few bucks now or whatever currency bucks you're using Sam's betting Sam's betting parlor uh so yeah after getting you know both wrong the first week I came back strong but uh anyway this week um the game of the week as I mentioned earlier for me is Milan Inter that's uh on Sunday 9 a.m ESPN plus uh with Inter currently one point ahead of Milan at the top of Serie A um I like Milan in this because they're 3.55 to one so they're pretty big underdogs um Mm -hmm. i I think it's going to be a very even game. So I think that price is worth a punt. Um, I also like Sassuolo to beat Bologna at home. They're 2.3 to one. And I like Atalanta to beat Napoli at home and both teams to score. And that'll get you just around two to one. Uh, okay. Looking ahead to the quiz now. Um, Good morning I, on uh, uh, Milan Live. When, when, when do I get to do my Premier League picks? <laughs> Jesus. Wow, that was oh, deep, sorry. man. You can get in numbers. It. I'm, I'm going to do a very quick one, Sam. So it's, we got get the Merseyside it. Derby this uh, Saturday, Liverpool, Everton. I'm going to go with yeah. uh, I'm going to go with two uh, two in that one, and then oh. we've got man, our Arsenal at home against Man City. I'm going to go three uh, one Man City. Liverpool, okay. I thought, did well with that K back or K back the t- Turkish. Uh, center central defender he did pretty well i thought he's just sort of there well yeah so they had a nice bounce back in the champions league after just having a disastrous month so i felt i was happy for them actually right okay all right sorry sorry to jump to it too quickly quiz (laughs) uh so i got interested in looking into yellow and red cards after i mentioned earlier i kind of went down that rabbit hole uh so i checked the european leagues for this season um on footcharts.co.uk and i'm wondering first off if you can tell me how many fouls have been called on average in a single match across the top five european leagues this season just regular fouls just fouls i'm gonna say a dozen 12. yeah i was thinking 13. okay it's actually 25.6 fouls whoa Uh, So which league has the most fouls called? I'm going to go with Syria. The most fouls called. uh, Because they're very dramatic. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Let's go with Premier League. What do we got? Uh, so it's actually, it, it is Serie A Grail, correct? 27.4 fouls a game. Hey, hi, I've heard you come Sam, can you go back for next week and measure the amount of ground covered by guys rolling after the foul? Il cadre, por favor. So which country has the least number of fouls per game this year? America. America. With La Liga. <laughs> uh, the least. A La Liga, what do you say? Ligue in the French? They're a powder puff La, league La, there? La, no, La Liga. Oh, La Liga. I'll go Ligue Okay, that it's actually the Premier League with 22.1 a game. So okay. it's a pretty big difference, you know, yeah, five, five difference. fouls a game. Uh, to round it out, they're 26.9 in Spain. It's also pretty high. 25.9 okay. in France, 25.4 in Germany. So Italy and England are the real outliers. So they let you play more in the Premier League is what you're saying, I guess, right? Because that seems, has a low number. Seems yeah. that way, yeah. Yeah. So how many yellow cards have been given on average per match across the five leagues this season? 1.5. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, no, I'm going to go with four and a half. A game? So, yeah. So yeah, three, yeah, total. total. So, so yeah, it's 3.99. So essentially okay. four. I was pretty so close. Here, uh, no, it's not yeah. four. That's not yeah, four. Three, yeah, nine, I was nine, a lot closer to four. you, Mr. Point <laughs> one or whatever the hell you said. Uh, <laughs> okay, so which leagues had the most yellow cards on average i'm gonna go with premier league because i think there's a lot more of that yeah that's what i'm my syria 
Okay, said yeah at four point six. Okay, so, so more yellow, so more yellows and more fouls. More yellows and more fouls. Uh, the yeah. least, least yellow cards on average. I'm gonna go with the uh, uh, Bundesliga, Premier League. Okay, it is the Premier League at two point nine eight. So again, a pretty, a You're pretty big school. difference. Good, good job. Uh, to round it out, Spain has four and a half a game. France has four. Germany has three point eight a game. Well, it lines uh, up with fouls, so, though, right? So it's it lines a, up that lines fouls, up with fouls, but, yeah. let, but let's also take the means next step. The Premier League is a tougher league, basically. Uh, okay, so the next step: How many red cards have been given on average per match across the five leagues this year? Uh, less than one. It's point seven five. Yeah, I'm, that's, say, I'm yeah. gonna go. Yeah, point. Well, it's got to be. It's less than one, I think, on average. Point five. I don't know. Okay, it's actually just point one seven. Okay. So yeah. it's pretty low. It's a rarity. Yeah. So uh, which league has seen the most red cards on average? Uh, Syria. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'm going with Flinny on that. Okay. It's actually France at 0. Oh. 0.28. So it's pretty high. Yeah. Um, and the le- I'll just keep it moving here. The least yeah. is Germany at just 0.1. Oh, so very disciplined. Don't foul. Don't, don't foul. Just, just to sort of channel your yeah, anger. Good, good challenge, but no foul. Spain, challenge 0.21. Italy, 0.18. England, 0.12. So what's interesting to me about this is Italy is by far the most in terms of fouls and yellow cards, yeah. but is like right about average for red cards. So yeah. Suggest that maybe they're a little more strategical in their fouling. Yeah. Well, they're just very, um, they're highly dramatic to a point, I guess. Would yeah. Be my take. <laughs> yeah. Strategery. Strategery. So the other, the other interesting thing I picked up, I didn't know how to turn this into a quiz, but there is unsurprisingly a correlation between how few cards a team picks up and how good they are. They're placed in the table. You know, the better teams all pick up less cards. Mm-hmm. But what was kind of surprising is there is not a correlation to how many cards a team draws and their league position. So you oh, might think that Man City yeah. are so good, people pick up a ton of cards against them, but that's that's not the case. Yeah, don't you also think it's the philosophy of the team? A lot of people just dive. I mean, look look to get cards. Yeah, well, so what it seemed to be is the teams that draw a lot of cards yeah. are also the teams that get a lot of cards. So okay. that suggests that those are just more physical games. I got you. Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. Excellent. Anyway, that's all, all I right, got. So, Great stuff, Sam. So uh, I know what game Grail and I are going to be watching this weekend. What are you watching, Sam? Well, I already said the Milan Derby is going oh, on. Right, right, There's right. Uh, Atalanta Napoli is a good one. So you didn't yeah. say Derby correctly, so I blanked it out. I forgot and, about it. And, and you can you can bet. It's well, I avoid Sam, the Sam whole controversy, right? By saying just go derby. to samgriswalditalia.com if you want to place your bets, and Sam takes checks. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, some of the vig there, a little percentage. All right, guys. Well, that's uh, all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Grant Wall. Uh, Grant Wall on Over the Ball. Uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. Thank you.